in the Word of God, Second Chronicles chapter 20. A familiar portion of Scripture, I think. Praise the Lord. Now, no doubt for us as Christians, we understand um, that we are in a spiritual war, that we're in a battle. We have an enemy and we, you know, part of the, the whole Christian life and experience from the moment by which we, in which we are saved, we are engaged in a battle and we have to learn to fight. We have to learn to engage the battle and that's the whole concept of, uh, and it's the story throughout and is typified throughout the Old Testament it's represented and taught to us clearly in the New Testament we have to learn to yield the sword and we have to be offensive and there's many a times in which we have to literally engage in that battle we are expected to by God we are required to and we must learn to fight blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle That is a fundamental truth. But yet, what is interesting is that there is an exception in the Bible to this rule in the story in which we're going to consider. Now, we understand that in life, we are uh, in this battle, we are engaging in various trials and tribulations and there's a lot of activity. But let's be honest and let's be real. And the, the reality of life and the Christian life is there are instances and there are times that um, they, they might not be often, but let mark it down, it will happen, in which we are faced with a circumstance or a situation in which uh, we are literally overcome by a sense of overwhelmingness, of helplessness, in that we just feel as though the circumstances or the situation is beyond us and and almost uh, we're just not, not defeated in any way but nevertheless we are alarmed at what we are dealing with because we understand we don't that it is beyond our ability here. Now I know that this is an extreme example and it's an extreme circumstance but let's be real this morning. We're dealing with the reality of the Christian life. And so um, to, to state this is not to in effect identify a lack of faith or in other, or, but in, in truth the reality is, is even if we are to face a situation as such um, it can lead to a lack of faith if we're not careful and mindful of how we respond and how we react in the situation and in the circumstances. But Paul the Apostle, he identified with such things when he said about suffering uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 how he refers to the fact that he was burdened beyond measure. And he uses these phrases, he says that he was burdened above strength and that they even despaired even of life. Now, you know, that doesn't in effect sound like words of faith, does it? But what it is that Paul is highlighting is not the issue of faith here, but he's dealing with the issue of reality, Okay? There is a reality that is a, a part of a Christian experience 
and uh, sometimes we may even find ourselves uh, burdened beyond measure. And so the story in the Old Testament that we want to consider and that we want to read, it captures uh, the exact sentiment that we're highlighting here and it has a lesson to teach us. Now, uh, there are two particular principles Uh, truths that we want to identify in our text. Now it's going to be a lengthy portion of text but we need to read it and we'll work ourselves systematically through it but in saying that there are two principal truths or lessons that we need to derive out of this portion of text and one is, is this, the battle belongs to God. The battle belongs to God. You see, in the midst of battles and situations, we realise that we are called to fight. We have to stand against the enemy. We have to engage. But yet there is an exception to the rule, as we will see, and sometimes we feel as though we're on our own, but uh, as we will see, we are surely not. And the battle is not ours, but it is God's, and we must first fundamentally understand that. And the second truth that we want to highlight is the power of praise this morning. The power of praise. And these two truths will hold us in good stead as we serve the Lord and as we find ourselves maybe, uh, as we will at some point, or maybe for some even now, I don't know, but this, these truths will enable us to maintain and live in the victory of Christ. And I have to be honest with you, I love this, this portion of text, this chapter of the Bible uh, for what it teaches and it, it excites my heart because it reveals something about God's love for us, God's jealousy over us, amen, and that he would take up the cause, amen, and he would fight for his people and that includes you and I. So let's read this portion of text, let's follow it together as we read it in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Like I said, it's a lengthy portion, but let's read it and work it through. Verse 1, it says, It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them beside the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude has, is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon, Tamar, which is en And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven and do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations and in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham your friend forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name's uh, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession which you gave us to inherit. Our, oh our God, will you not judge them? 
For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Now all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon uh, Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Beniah, the son of Jael, and the son of Metaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up against uh, the ascent of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord worshipping the Lord. Then the Levites uh, of the uh, children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army uh, and were saying, Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set an ambush against the people of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir, uh, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon uh, and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude. And there were dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewellery, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. And on the fourth day they assembled at the valley of Berakak, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore the name of that place was called the valley of Berakak until this day. Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem um, uh, with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. Praise the Lord. Now this is an exciting portion of text. I mean when you read this and you take the time to meditate and ponder upon the truth and highlight what God is showing us and what this Old Testament story is typifying and teaching us as Christians, I tell you what, it causes us reason to rejoice because we have a God, hallelujah, that is for us. See, what is interesting is we find in verse 1 that here's Judah and Jehoshaphat being the king um, uh, the people are obviously they're at rest, they're just going about their daily business, but the enemies of Israel have gathered together, they have conspired together, they have come together and joined together in a force that is uh, the Bible refers to as a great army. It happened after this that they came to battle and uh, there was a great 
multitude that came against them. And so uh, it, it, it is a great multitude. And when Jehoshaphat was informed of the, this gathering and their intention and how they had come together, the Bible says to us that uh, in verse 3 that Jehoshaphat feared. Now listen to those words, Jehoshaphat feared. Now you might look at that and say, well, wait a minute, where's his faith? Well, don't worry, it's coming. But you see, the fear is not so much an irrational fear that is in which, by which he is tormented, but rather it is a fear that has, he is facing because he's dealing with a, a real situation, a real circumstance, and the enemies of the people of God had gathered together and they are ready to rampage against the people of God. You see, Jehoshaphat's reaction is really a natural human reaction to a real situation and circumstance. He feared. Now, I'm not suggesting that fear is always an, an appropriate response, okay? Because it's not. But what I am saying is, is there will be a circumstance or some circumstances in which it is legitimate that you respond in the same spirit that Jehoshaphat did. Because you are looking and you are overwhelmed by what you are dealing with, what you are observing, what is the reality of a situation or a circumstance in your life and, uh, and your initial response. It's not a lack of faith as such, not necessarily, but fear all of a sudden comes upon you. See, it's not the fear that's the problem, it's the way you react to that fear that is critical, okay? It's the way we respond to that, it's the manner in which we go about it and it's interesting that Jehoshaphat just doesn't carry on and cry out as one who doesn't know God. He's not uh, you know, speaking words that of, in effect that uh, are somehow um, undermining God's ability or God's power in the midst of the circumstance. And so, uh, he's, not, you know, he's not scheming as other kings have done in, these, in the accounts where they try and hire another nation to try and facilitate. He's not scheming. But nevertheless, he realises what he's facing. So what is interesting is that Jehoshaphat's response teaches us a valuable lesson because his fear, listen to this, his fear drove him straight to God in prayer and in fasting. Okay? Look at verse 3. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all of Judah. See, we understand the need to pray as Christians. But you see, uh, the circumstance is such that Jehoshaphat needs to pray and fast. You see? And didn't Jesus say that, uh, you know, the, 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 there were those that complained and they said, well, why don't your disciples fast? Because, you know, the disciples of John, they're fasting often. And Jesus said, well, they don't need to fast as long as the bridegroom is with them, but the time is coming when he won't be and then they will fast. Then they will sense their need to fast. Then when they are dealing with some of the issues and circumstances of life, they too will have to set themselves to pray and fast and to seek the Lord. 
But you see, this is the response of Jehoshaphat in the midst of the fear that has just leaped upon him. Okay? And really, that's how we need to go about it. Now, verse 4, the Bible says, So Judah gathered together. So it wasn't just Jehoshaphat, but it's the people of Judah. They're gathering together to ask help from the Lord and they came from all the cities of Judah and they came together to seek the Lord. Now what's interesting here is the cry for help that, or the prayer, I should say, that Jehoshaphat offers. You see, Jehoshaphat just doesn't cry out and say, Oh God, help me, help me. You know, you can... Now, not that that's wrong, okay? It's not that that's wrong because for the person who maybe has a limited knowledge of God or a person who doesn't know God or for the sinner who's just simply calling upon him in desperation, that is a legitimate cry for help. But you see, what we have here is not Jehoshaphat in seeking God and in praying. He's just not uh, flippantly coming before God saying, God, I can't do this, help me. That is not the nature of Jehoshaphat's prayer as we will see. But rather what you see and what we will identify is that there is substance to this prayer. Here is a man who had a depth and an understanding of God and when he went to seek him in prayer and as he engages him in prayer, what he's praying reveals to us a man who knew God. He understood certain aspects about the nature of God and more than that he understood that he and the people of Judah were the covenant of, a part of the covenant of God and Judah knew and Jehoshaphat knew that God was a covenant keeping God. You see, in verse 5, it says, Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord. There's no better place to be. Can you say amen? When in the midst of life and its battles and its struggles and its sufferings, I tell you what, this, the house of God is a refuge. Hallelujah. You see, the temptation for some is I feel so overwhelmed. that I mean, I am feeling so bad. I feel so defeated. I just don't feel like going to church. Well, that's exactly when you need to be in the house of God when everything about it says no. You see, it's how you react. Jehoshaphat feared, but he immediately set himself to seek God and he's in the house of God. You see, that's the critical part. Don't draw back, don't kind of fall uh, into a, a, a pit, but rather ensure that you are in the house of God. Now listen to verse 6. And he says, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Oh, praise the Lord. Jehoshaphat says, you know what God? You are a mighty and awesome God. You are all powerful. You are the ruler and you are king of heaven and earth and I tell you, nobody can withstand you. I don't care what the natural dimensions are. I don't care by the fact that there is a sense of trepidation in me, in my spirit. I can come to you and know who you are because you are God Almighty. There is nothing that is impossible for you. 
and he has an understanding of that, but then he goes even further in verse 7 and he says, And are you not our God? You see, we're talking not just about the God of heaven and earth or the God that's out there, hallelujah. We're talking about our God, my God, your God. And there's a personal revelation that Jehoshaphat has and is expressing and really when you read the, the, the nature of his prayer, he says he drove out the inhabitants of the land and the people of Israel and he talks about the promises of God. But you know what? In effect, he's alluding to this. He's referring to the covenant that God had made with the people of Israel. And he says, you are our God. You made a covenant with us. We are your people. And so Jehoshaphat is understanding this fact that God, we are yours. And therefore, in coming to you, I need your help and two, I can expect your help. Not just that I'm asking for it, I need it. And you're my God and I know who you are and nothing's impossible for you and therefore you've made various promises and I'm going to hold fast to those promises. You see, that's faith. Right there we see Jehoshaphat exercising a dimension of faith in contrast to the fear that has come upon him. But what we see is a man who knew and understood God. You see, is not God uh, to us a covenant-keeping God? Hallelujah. When you begin to understand the fact of who God is and that you are, have been purchased uh, with a price and your life is not your own and that you are His, amen, and you are His precious possession, not only do we have an inheritance in Him, but we are His inheritance. Hallelujah. And when you understand who you are and you look at the situation and circumstances of life, when you come before the Lord, you can pray in such a manner with a depth of revelation and understanding that you can have true faith and true confidence in God's ability and power to intervene and to undertake for you in that circumstance. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Come boldly. Enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. There is a confidence that we have, church, that, 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 that the Bible says don't cast it away because this confidence, this faith that we can come straight into the presence of the King with our petitions is precious. You see, part of Jehoshaphat's prayer is that he, he acknowledges the, the impossible or impotence of the circumstances. Go down to verse 12. He says, O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. See, this is not Jehoshaphat being faithless. We, 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 he's just preceded his, his faith has clearly been demonstrated, but rather what we have now is, he's, again, he's being real. He's saying in verse 12, God, we have no power against this great multitude. And more so, he says, Lord, we don't even know what to do. I don't know what to do, Lord. And so he says, but our eyes are upon you. He is looking to God. His eyes are fixed, his heart is set towards the Lord 
And again, this teaches us something valuable because we are to keep our eyes upon Jesus. Amen? The author and finisher of our faith. And uh, so therefore, it doesn't matter what it is that we go through, hallelujah, we have a, a forerunner and we are to keep our eyes upon God. And here's Jehoshaphat, he's looking to God. His eyes he's, are upon him, he's brought his prayer and petition and he's desperate and he needs God to speak and to move in his situation and circumstance. You see, that's what can happen. We, we, we're virtually uh, impotent in the situation. We have no power against the great multitude. We have no power against the circumstance. We can't cunningly connive or manoeuvre or work our way through it as sometimes we, we so desperately like to or try to. <laughs> but you see, in verse 13... They, are, they have come and they are standing before the Lord. Now all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. They look, their eyes are upon him, they're standing before God and they are waiting. That's what they're doing now, they're waiting on God. And look at verse 14 because God responds to them and then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Matiah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly... And he says, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord, do not be afraid nor dismayed at this great multitude. You see, they're the first words because God understands. Jehoshaphat feared in verse 3 and God's reiterating to him, he says, Joshua do not fear, do not be dismayed at this great multitude. God's acknowledging the reality of the situation but he's reiterating the, uh, uh, the position that they, they, the people of God need to take and then he says, listen, for the battle is not yours but God's. The battle is not yours but God's. And you see, this is, a, this is a, uh, a, a powerful principle of how to conduct ourselves that God's trying to show us because um, it's, we're so prone. Because, like I said at the beginning, we understand that we are required to fight the battle. We understand that we are required to engage the battle. We understand that we have a part to play and we, we, we don't want to shy away from that. But this particular text teaches us something very, very different. There, if you want to call it, this is an exception to the rule. We're so inclined to do something and yet God is going to tell them not to be afraid, not to be dismayed, but he's going to tell them clearly through the prophet that the battle is not yours but it is God's. God is saying to the people of Judah, I'm going to intervene. I'm going to undertake. I will fight this battle for you. And really, this is, this is the understanding that we need to have of God because sometimes we just think this battle is my battle. But you know what? It is God's battle. You know, the Bible says in Zechariah 2.8, God speaks to Israel and he says, He who touches you touches the apple of my eye. 
You see, there's something about when the enemy would come in like a flood and would come in against us and there would be a major assault against our lives, then uh, uh, when it is demonically inspired and orchestrated, God understands our circumstances and be the great multitude, the Bible says the battle is, belongs to God. The battle is mine, says the Lord. Verse 17 Listen, he says, you will not need to fight in this battle. Oh, glory to God. Actually, you, don't, you know, the odds are so stacked against us, so it, it, you think, gosh. And, and again, not that they didn't find themselves in circumstances like that in their, in their history and God still wrought victory. But in this instance, God is saying, listen, you will not even need to fight. So that's a bit of a foreign concept, isn't it? Because we're so geared towards that that fight especially when we're in fight or that fear comes upon us we're ready yep let's go but yet God is reassuring them to be at peace and to be still and he is saying to them you will not need to fight in this battle but rather he says to them all you got to do is you just need to position he says in verse 17 position yourselves stand still and see the salvation of the Lord I like that Position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. We are so quick to sometimes move to do this or to do that. And yet God in some instances would say to us, you don't need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You see... Oh, here we go. <laughs> but you see their response in verse 18 and Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord and they worshipped the Lord you see rather than uh, uh, doing this and doing that they positioned themselves they got on their knees and they began to worship and they began to exalt the Lord God And so this is the type of response that we need to understand. This is what we need to do because what this in effect is doing is it's humbling oneself before the Lord. It is uh, acknowledging God. We are poor and we are needy. All we can do is just worship and exalt you for who you are. Sometimes that's all you can do, church. Sometimes that's all you can do and that is exactly what they did and that's continue to have to do but look at the, it goes further in verse 19 then the Levites and the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korahites stood to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high oh praise the Lord you know even in the midst of the deepest trial the deepest battle the most over, when you're feeling at your most overwhelming worst the Bible says that we are to seek the Lord, we are to praise the Lord and the Bible says that they lifted up their voices on high, loud and high. Loud and high. Now think about that for a moment. You know, because we're conservative people and we like to kind of keep things sometimes a little quiet. We don't want to get too erratic. We don't want to get too loud. 
But yet, this is exactly the opposite because the Bible says these, uh, these people, they stood and they offered up praise to God and they lifted up their voices loud and high. They didn't hold back, amen. They began to praise God. They began to give Him glory. They began to vocalise at the top of their lungs that the praises of God, and really this is what it's about, church, that the high praises of God would be in our mouths. That's why you can come into the house of God and you can have the liberty to sing, you can have the liberty to pray and you can have liberty to shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Lift up your voice. Um, you know what? If the, time, if, if the situation demands it, just praise Him loud and high. I'm not talking about carrying on like a pork chop. I'm talking about, in a controlled manner, lifting your voice and loud and high, let your voice be heard. Verse 20. So they rose early in the morning and they went out into the wilderness of Tekoa and as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. Again, he's encouraging them in faith. Jehoshaphat being filled with faith, Jehoshaphat is speaking to them faith and he is exhorting them as they are about to engage in the battle uh, uh, but uh, they are being told to believe in the Lord your God and we shall be established. Believe in the prophets and you shall prosper. If we will trust God, if we will heed the word of the Lord, if we will hold on to the promises of God, then that is what establishes our soul. That is what causes us to prosper in the Christian life. That's what causes us to live in victory and to adhere to. That's why you can have on one side of life uh, you know, um, suffering, but yet on the other side you can have victory and they're both concurrent because it's possible. More than that is that not only is it possible, that's actually how it works. That's what the Bible teaches us. And that's how you're going to be established in faith. That's why we rise above our emotions and our feelings and we praise the Lord when we don't feel like praising Him sometimes. When everything in your fibre just wants to kind of mope and, you know, and just kind of remain silent and just, you know what, that's exactly when you need to lift your voice loud and high. Go contrary to what you feel and by an act of the will, lift up your voice and praise the Lord because there's something powerful in that and that's what this text is teaching us. So here's the strategy as they're about to embark on the battle. They're about to go into the front lines. In verse 21, when they had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army, before the army, not with swords and spears, but no, they went out with the singers. Hmm, that's great. Hmm. And they praised the beauty of holiness. Maybe that was, praise the beauty of holiness. And the army's there and they who knows, I don't know, but you've got to picture this, okay? And, uh, and in doing so, they went out before the army and they said, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. You see, that's faith right there. That is faith right there. They are heading headlong into the battle. They've got no idea of 
how is even going to win it? They don't know the strategy that God has. They're ignorant of what God's doing in the background. They're not aware of the dynamics of, that's going on. All they're doing is they are just obeying God. They're following the instructions of Jehoshaphat and here they are. They put the singers at the beginning of the arm, at the front of the army and they're marching forward and they're praising God. Hey, that takes a bit of faith. And they begin to sing, verse 22, and praise. And listen to this, and the Lord set an ambush against the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir and, uh, who had come against Judah and they were defeated. So as they, all they did is they praised the Lord, God got involved. God intervened. God undertook in the situation and the circumstances and the people of Ammon began to kill and Seir, the Mount Seir and the uh, Moabites, they began to kill each other. Now, I don't know how that logistically took place. <laughs> But I know that God, the well, Bible says that God came down and he sent confusion amongst the camp and he sent fear amongst the camp. They panicked and they went into a frenzied state and all of a sudden they start killing each other. And, and then to the degree in which that they, that they are basically, the Bible says in verse 24 uh, that no one escaped. God killed them all or had them all killed, whichever way you want to put it. Not one of them escaped. You see, the parallel is seriously quite obvious, isn't it? The truth that God is showing us is so critically important and it is so obviously stated that the key to victory, amen, is praise. Praise. Praising God, lifting up your hands, lifting up your voice and praising God. And there are various other examples of this in the Bible. We have obviously the story of Jericho and um, uh, you know, they come to this fortified city and, and in the first instance they weren't engaged to fight but rather they were to circle the city and on the seven times and on the seventh day, seven times but then they were to shout with a great shout and the walls came tumbling down. There's something about that shout, lifting up the voice loud and high. There's something about praising God because uh, I'm not talking about being loud for loudness sake. I'm talking about being loud because it's a reflection of your heart. You see, praise is the power of heaven. Hallelujah. Praise is the voice of faith. Praise lifts us above the circumstances and lets, God, let, lets God's power flow. And as one man said, praise binds the devil with chains that won't let go. There's something about praise, amen, and all, I'm not even fighting. I'm just praising God. But you know what? But in doing that, God is now undertaking. We've released God into the circumstance by just obeying his instruction and just praising him and giving him the glory because he's worthy. But too many times Christians, rather than praise God, they blame God. Rather than praise God, they complain to God. And you see, that is the fruit of unbelief beginning to manifest and grip your heart. But rather, the scripture tells us to praise the Lord. Praise Him. We church, Paul and Silas on that day, 
They're, here they are. They've been beaten. They've been whipped. They're, they're, for the cause of Christ, they've been a, they're in a dungeon and in, a, and in darkness, way down below. They're chained. And the Bible says, what were they doing? They were praising God. And then what happens? There's a great earthquake and the chains come falling off and all of a sudden they are freed. But you see, that was because they were praising God, church. They could have been there and say, why Lord, why am I in this place? Why does this have to happen to me? And they could have easily been in a different, a different disposition of spirit. And I tell you, nothing would have happened. But because they were giving glory to God, because they offered to God praise, God undertook and he intervened. You know, it doesn't matter what the devil does. It doesn't matter what the, the, the powers of hell throw at us. Church, there's only one person that controls this tongue. And it's you and it's me. We can be physically dying, we can be physically beaten, we can have the circumstances of life afflicting us to such a depth, but at the end of the day, amen, we control the tongue and we must ensure that what comes forth from the tongue is important. It is important. I'm not speaking on the word faith section, I'm speaking in the context of that uh, there's a truth here. And that truth is this, is that we must be mindful of what the words we speak. You see, Jehoshaphat feared, but he didn't go around saying, that's it, it's over, guys. You don't realise this one's too big. (laughs) This is a great big circumstance. You know, that's not what Jehoshaphat said. He feared, but then he reacted and responded accordingly. But we have to praise the Lord. We have to engage ourselves in praise. We have to know, like Joshua, that our God is a covenant-keeping God. We have to know the promises of his word. We have to know his power. That's why it's critical, church, that you read your Bible, that we are not ignorant of the word of God. My people perish for a lack of knowledge. You see, you know, why do you read the Bible? Because I tell you, there's going to be circumstances in life where if you haven't filled your heart and your mind with the Word of God, then how is God going to speak to your Word? How is God going to quicken some promise, some word, some scripture to you? Well, graciously enough, He may do it in other means. But my point is, uh, is it's the Word of God must dwell in you richly. And you must read the Bible because there is going to be some battles in life where you're going to need God. You're going to need to know the Word of God because God will bring to remembrance promises. He will bring to remembrance His Word and He'll quicken it to your spirit at a given moment and that will strengthen you. Praise God. So we need to know His power. We need to know His Word and we need to know, of course, how to praise the Lord. See, I want to look lastly at the blessing that is forthcoming in this particular story because what's, the story obviously doesn't just end with the victory. They were defeated, they were killed and as they went forth praising God but at the same time they were blessed of the Lord. Look at verse 25. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewellery which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away and they were three days 
gathering the spoil because there was so much. Then in verse 26, on the fourth day, as they assembled at the valley of Berica, of Erica, whatever you want to call it, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore the name of that place was called the valley of Baraka until this day. In other words, this word in the Hebrew literally means blessing. And so God, this was the valley of blessing. You see, out of such a circumstance, out of such a situation, these people, God turned the circumstance around to such a degree that they plundered the enemy and they were blessed and they were blessed over and abundantly. For three days they're gathering the spoils and then they come to this place, this valley of blessing and they bless the Lord and they thank God for all that he has uh, uh, accomplished. You see, God is good church. And how many blessings the Christian can miss out on because we have not learned the lesson of praise. Because in the midst of circumstances, you know, you look at the children of Israel and we know their history. We know of those that dwelt in the wilderness. We know of those that refused to trust God and have faith. And yet, and how many, and that applies in the context to the Christian life, and how many of us fail to learn the lessons of praise? And more than that, how many of us forfeit various blessings because we have not trusted God? And more than that, the blessings are so abundant. Are so abundant. God is a God that blesses. God is a God that showers us with blessing after blessing after blessing and if we will only heed him, if we will only trust him, if we will only praise him, church, then God will not only undertake and intervene because the battle is not mine, it's, it's not yours but it's mine, says the Lord and you will not need to fight and more than that, once I've destroyed the enemy, you will collect your spoils. You will be blessed over and abundantly. Hallelujah. The Bible says in Psalm 84, verse 4, it says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. And in essence, that captures for us again this story. And though we may have to pass through, and though we will at some very point in life, through various sufferings and trials, uh, pass through the valley of weeping, uh, the Bible says uh, it is make it, we make it a spring. The rain covers it with pools. It's not just a spring. The rain covers. See, there's the, it's that over and abundance. It covers it with pools. You know, it's not just, oh, a drink, here's a cup. No, no, God says, here, it pulls of it. You know, whoo, jump in. The blessings of God are abundant. And that's exactly what's happening here. They are receiving a superabundance of blessing from God as they have come through this circumstances. God has wrought and fought for them. And here in Psalm 84, it's, it's identifying the very same principle. And in verse 7, it says, they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Let's read verse 27 of our text. 
Then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem, with Jehoshaphat in front of them, to go back to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. In verse 3, Jehoshaphat feared. In verse 27, he's rejoicing over his enemies. Oh, glory to God. You see, that's the God we serve, church. That's what God will do for us. That's what God will cause to happen to us so that we can rejoice because we know it's not... It's not us, but we know greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We know the reality of these truths that our God always causes us to triumph in Christ. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And as we hold fast and as we trust God, what we find is God brings us to that place. He brings us through and he causes us to rejoice to rejoice over our enemies, that we look back and think, gosh, God is so good. All I had to do was just praise Him. All I had to do was just trust Him. And the very things that are uh, are critically can be uh, tested during such experiences. Oh, glory to God. Rejoice in the Lord always, the Bible tells us. As we conclude with this, I just want to just reflect, just upon to highlight those a few factors that we've considered here. We need to go back and we need to, like Jehoshaphat, in the midst of the battle, in the midst of an overwhelming circumstance, though one may be gripped by fear, we have to learn to fast or pray and fast, and fast if necessary. We also need to, like Jehoshaphat, reflect upon our covenant-keeping God. You need to meditate upon the Lord and understand who He is. Then you need to hear the words of this book and understand the promises of God, understand the nature of God, understand the power of God. And then we need to position ourselves like they did and we need to offer to God the sacrifice of praise. We need to praise the Lord with voices loud and lifted high. And then we need to uh, receive, amen, as God accomplishes his work in our midst and on our behalf, we need to receive the blessings of God. And lastly, in receiving the blessings of God, we rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the lessons that your word teaches us. God, let us take heed to this, Lord. And I trust, God, and I pray, Lord, that your people, God, would not fail in that moment, but rather that we would be a people that would position ourselves, that we would understand the word of the Lord, that we would be a people, though it may be initially gripped by fear, but we would be a people of faith, a people that will trust, a people, Lord, that will keep our eyes fixed and focused upon you. God, for the battle is not ours, it is yours. And there will be a time when you will say to each of us, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, where you will say, you will not have to fight. I understand, Lord, we are part of this battle and we are required to fight, but there's going to be a time when we just must stand and wait and see the undertakings of your power. And in doing so, Lord, let us be a people that will forever praise your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Glory to God.
Oh, well, we're going to have the AGM in just the, uh, the, uh, the uh, annual general meeting in just a moment. We're going to break for a few minutes or we're going to start that immediately. What's the situation?